Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. If you're staying in big church this morning, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, would you please? In the 1980s, the toy action figures called Transformers came out. You'll remember them. Transformers were cars and buses and airplanes that seemed harmless enough, right? But in the twist of a hand, they became this big, mean, fighting robot with, with missiles on the end of its hands and guns and all that kind of thing. It was perfect for fighting aliens because all of a sudden these harmless cars and buses became these weapons that could fight the aliens. The theme song for the Transformers cartoon was Transformers More Than Meets the Eye. I must confess, I don't remember the song. But anyway, uh, Transformers More Than Meets the Eye. Today, Jesus is going to share with us some parables about his kingdom. And his point is going to be this. The kingdom of God seems harmless and powerless, but in time, it's going to transform. And more than that, in time, it's going to transform the world. Today, Mark is going to share with us four parables. Last week, we saw just one of them. But just like last week, I think it's true this week, the parables to the seekers become the revelation of God's truth to them. But to those who really don't care about the kingdom, they don't care about God, they don't care about anything, then they simply become stories that they don't really understand what they mean. So this morning, we're going to look at those four parables, and I am going to hopefully draw some some applications for us, some walkaway applications for those of us who follow Jesus. So let's dive in. The first parable, we're going to call it the parable of the lamp. If you happen to be our guest, we're studying the gospel of Mark, the biography of Jesus we call Mark, which is the second book of the New Testament. We're at chapter 4, verse 21. And Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This parable of Jesus is just simply a logical deduction from the use of a lamp. He says, no one lights a lamp and takes it into a room and then puts it under a bushel basket to hide its light. Or no one lights a lamp and then hides it under the bed. He said, when you light a lamp, what you do with it, you put it up high on a lampstand so that it'll illumine everything that's in the room. So what does Jesus mean by this parable? Well, he doesn't tell us specifically. In fact, he's not going to tell us on any of the four parables that we're going to look this morning. Jesus is not going to interpret them uh, for us. Uh, It may have seemed to the disciples that Jesus was hiding the light of the kingdom, right? Everywhere he went, he said he taught in parables, and one of the reasons he said he taught in parables was so that people would not understand so far in Mark's gospel, we've seen Jesus cloak his ministry in, uh, in secrecy, right? In Mark chapter 1, verse 25, this demon says, you are the holy one of God. And Jesus says, hey, stop it, be quiet. 
In Mark 1, he heals a leper. And those last words to the leper are, don't tell anyone what God has done for you. And then in Mark 1, it says, Jesus stayed out of the major population centers and he was out in the countryside in somewhat isolation. Bible scholars call this the messianic secret. We've talked about this before. Maybe you already know what it is. But the messianic secret is that Jesus seemed to not want people to know who he was and what he was sharing about about the kingdom. Now, ultimately, Jesus had one objective, and that one objective would be to lay down his life as a ransom for us. He was going to die for us. He was going to die our death. So that was kind of his ultimate, his ultimate obje- objection in coming, but Jesus sought to accomplish more than that. All right. Jesus' message is that he is the anointed king of God, beginning this new kingdom here on earth. Now, that message would have been treason to the Romans. They would have considered that treason. It would have been blasphemy for the Jews. It would have been highly misunderstood by the masses. In fact, in John chapter 6, we have a story where the the masses are following Jesus because in chapter 5 of John, he fed them. And he said, you're only following me for the food. And so this message that Jesus was, was giving was highly misunderstood by many. So... We find Jesus here at the beginning of Mark and actually throughout the Gospels, we'll find Jesus keeping a low profile. And I want to suggest this for two reasons. One, it's so that he'll have time to teach his disciples. In other words, he he needs to have time. He doesn't need Rome to come down on him really quickly or the Jews to come down on him really quickly. He needs time to instruct his disciples. And so, uh, you know, I think that's part of the reason why he's being secretive about who he is. Uh, another reason is because this is the plan that God has established in his omniscient in his omniscience and in his omnipotence and his all power and his all knowing. This is the plan that God has worked out. And so Jesus is working God's plan that will eventually lead him to the cross not a minute sooner than he ought to go or a minute later than he ought to go. So what is Jesus saying by this parable? Here's what I think it is, okay? Though for the time being, the kingdom of God may seem to you all like I'm hiding it under a bushel. It may seem like I'm hiding it under a bed. Here's what I want you to know. The light of the kingdom of God is soon gonna be put up on a a pedestal way up here and it's going to give light to everybody and it's going to illuminate all of mankind. The kingdom will be manifest and everything will come to light. After the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, when the fullness of what God had brought Jesus to do had been revealed, then the light would be put on the stand for all to see. I think with this parable, Jesus is answering his followers and saying to his followers, if you think, because remember, Jesus is hiding the light everywhere he goes. You might think that I'm all about hiding the light. I'm hiding it for a season, but there's coming a time when I'm going to put the light on the lampstand and everyone's going to see it. In John chapter 6, the text I was just mentioning, where the Jews confront Jesus after he's fed them, in chapter 6, verse 37, and then again in verse 44, Jesus tells the Jews that all that belong to God, God would give to Jesus. He would say it like this, you cannot come to the Father unless the Father draws you. Now what I think Jesus meant by that was simply this, that every believer who had faith in Yahweh Every believer who had faith in the one true God, right, 
who was already in covenant relationship with God, who already believed in Yahweh, God was going to give all of them to Jesus. They would all know who Jesus was. They'd all recognize him because they're already following God. So they're going to recognize him in his son. All of those he's going to give to Jesus. He says, but to the rest, to the Jews who have hardened themselves against God over and over and over again, I think Jesus is saying as a judgment, you're going to, I'm going to be hidden from you. I'm going to be hidden from, this is a judgment from God. Only those who God draws to Jesus will come. That's John chapter 6. But in John chapter 12, Jesus makes this claim. He says, now the ruler of this world has been cast down. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. I think what Jesus was saying is when I be lifted up on the cross and die and buried and raised from the dead, then at that point, all men will be drawn unto me. I think this is what Jesus meant in Matthew 24 when he said that he would send out his messengers into the ends of the earth, the four corners of the earth, to gather his elect. They would go with a great trumpet call and they would call his elect from the four corners. I, I think he's talking about the trumpet of the gospel and that the, the followers of Jesus would go out to the four corners of the earth and they would bring in God's people, all of those who would put their faith in the Lord Jesus. The light of the good news of the kingdom will be lifted up and it'll burn bright. And it's not going to be hidden anymore like it is now so that I can go to the cross and so that I have time to teach my disciples. No, it's hidden now for God to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. But in that day, the light of the gospel is going to be put up bright for all to see. Now, if that is the meaning of the parable, then I've got a couple of applications for us. Here's the first one. Believe the light Put your faith in the light of this good news of the kingdom. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for to put your faith in Jesus? Come to him, follow him, love him, trust him. Here's one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. I'm not a C.S. Lewis encyclopedia like Micah is, but uh, I do have some favorite quotes, and this is my favorite. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything. Now, folks, listen, man, that, that is such an awesome quote about Jesus. Hopefully you see the light of Jesus so that you believe in him. But it's by the light of Jesus that everything else in this universe makes sense. It's by the light of Jesus that everything else in life is understandable. So here's what I'd say to you. And you know what? I know I'm preaching to the choir. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to people who come here. I mean, we have a, a variance of about 50 people, right? That's about, that's about the flux in our church family from Sunday to Sunday. It can be as many as 50 people, right? But most of you are here pretty much much of the time. So you hear this, and I know many of you have put your faith in Jesus, but just maybe in this room, even today, somebody's sitting here, and you have never put your faith in Jesus. I mean, believe the, believe the light. Believe the light. What are you waiting for? And if you happen to be watching later on live stream, believe the light. Believe the light. Here's my second application. Shine the light. This was the implied ramification of last week's parable. I think it's implied here again. It's time for us to shine the light. Listen, the time of hiding the light for a season is over. The time to put the light on the stand is now. 
So all of us should be shining this light brightly. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, if Jesus didn't just mean that to the 12 and he meant it for all of us, then he means it for you. So it's time for you, follower of Jesus, to put your light up on the stand and let your light shine. What would it take for us to have a a brighter light? What would it take for you personally for your light to to shine brighter? What would it take? That's the question you need to ask yourself. All right, let's go to the second parable. The second parable, I'm gonna call it the, the parable of the measuring cup, verse 24. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from him. And again, Jesus doesn't explain this parable. But I think I have the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you what I think this means. I believe Jesus is telling his listeners, telling you and me this morning, pay attention to what you hear and learn and apply it to your life. Because the degree to which you take what God teaches you and you do something with it, to that degree, God is going to teach you more. But to the degree that you don't do anything with what God teaches you, you don't grow, you don't apply it, then what you have even is going to be taken from you. And listen to me, everyone. This is, this is a truth. If I'm right in what I'm saying, if that really is the message of this parable, we find this, this message in a number of parables. You remember the story of, the, of the, the, the master who's leaving and puts his stewards, gives his stewards some money, one guy like 500 or whatever, five and two and one talent. You remember that of money? And the first two use it, double it. Jesus says, man, faithful stewards. But he gets to the last guy. He doesn't do anything with what the, stu- what the master gave him. And, and Jesus says, man, you are unfaithful. Cast him out of my kingdom. He's done nothing with what I left him. So, you know, I think we find this, this principle throughout. God expects us to be responsible with what he teaches and gives us. With the measure that you use to receive what he gives you and apply it. With that measuring cup, God is going to evaluate you. So here's my third application for us. Choose to learn and to grow. Make a choice, make a decision, decide. I need to be a growing, learning Christian. It's so easy to become complacent. It's so easy to be satisfied with where I am, with what I know. We fall into our spiritual routines and our comfortable lives. We never seek to learn. We never seek to grow. Never taking what we might learn and really trying to live it out, especially or specifically in our lives. I'm 63 years, almost 63 years old. I'm seminary trained. Uh, When I was 50 years old, I pretty much thought I knew everything. Now, I never would have said that out loud because it's arrogant and because it's, you know, we think such things in our sinful minds, but we don't ever say them because we have enough common sense to know the arrogance of it. 
But then at 50, God began to show me that there were so many things that I didn't know and so many things that maybe I knew wrongly. And he lit a fire under me to begin to learn and to invest time in learning. And I'm telling you, I've said this often and I, I, I debated whether to say it again because you tire of it, I'm sure. But the last decade plus of my life has been the most exciting decade of my Christian life. And I'm about, I'm in my seventh decade now, right? My, my sixth decade of life was my most exciting one because I was learning. I felt like I was learning and being taught by the Spirit. It's not just the measure of what you know. It's the measure of what you do with what God is teaching you or the measure that you use so that God would pour into you so that you would learn. I tell you folks, listen, I long, I long for us as a church family to want to grow. I would always hope that our family is a pond stocked with deep thinking, deep learning theologians. <laughs> I want you all to be theologians and not just, le- I, we can't all be the same caliber of theologians as C.S. Lewis, right? But we can all be, we can all be learners and growers and deepen our are are thinking. I want us to be thinking Christians. I want us to be thinking Christians. I told the Lord if I remembered it, I'd talk about it, and I remember it, so I'm going to talk about it. So go back to the, who's up there? Allison, can you go back to the, the last song we sang? Let's go back to the last song that we sang and go to the first verse of it. I'm nervous. That's why I told the Lord, help me forget this, but he didn't. So, uh, all right, go to the, okay, What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls belong to him? So true. Go to the next slide. slide. Who holds our days within his hands? Definitely true. What comes apart from his command? I couldn't sing that line because I don't believe that's true. I think there's an awful lot that comes to us apart from the hand of God. And what I mean by that, that verse seems to read to me that everything that happens in my life is coming because God's commanding it to come. I don't believe that. I don't believe that's true. Now, I may be wrong, but what I'm trying to say is, guys, when we're singing, when you're reading your Bible, think about the words on the page, whether it's up there or in your Bible. Think about what you're reading and how it applies to your life. And ask yourself, is this really true? Now, lots of believers believe that's true. Nothing happens to you except what God has commanded to happen to you. I don't agree with that. When you looked at pornography this week, when you were angry with your wife or your husband this week, when you stole that thing that you shouldn't steal, that didn't come to you because God commanded you to do that. That came because you acted out of your own sinful nature, not at God's command. And so I, I kind of, I would want to change that line in the song just a little bit. And I thought I was done because some of these verses are awesome, but there's another one, I won't go to it. But you get my point, Right? My point is this, I want us to be deep thinking Christians. I want you to be a deep thinker and not just regurgitate what I tell you, okay? Because I can be wrong an awful lot. So don't just regurgitate what I tell you. Be a thinker. Be a thinker. Evaluate against the word of God. Let's move on. The third parable, the parable of the growing seed. That's what I'm calling this one. Pretty easy titles, actually. 
The parable of the growing seed, verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man would scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Again, Jesus doesn't explain this to us, so we have to try to understand, though I I think it's fairly easy to understand. This is about the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us that much, and he says it's like a man who plants a seed, and it grows, but he doesn't know how it happens, but he knows if he plants the seed in the ground, it's going to grow. So the kingdom is like that. The kingdom of God, we may not know how it's going to grow, but it's going to grow. You know, I live out here in the country, and one of the good things about living in the country is I get to watch Baker's corn grow. And I love watching Baker's corn grow because he plants it, and I mean, it's maybe, I'm looking the next day after he plants it. But if it's not this next day, it's the second or third day, and there you see it. Something is coming up above the ground. And then a couple of days later, you you see this little green thing with two little leaves like this. And then you wait several months and there's a stalk taller than me and it'll have two ears of corn on it. How how does that happen? I have no idea how it happens. I'm not even sure Baker could tell us how it actually happens, right? But it does. This is what Jesus is, I think, having in mind. The seed of the kingdom is planted. You may not know how it's going to grow, but the kingdom of God is going to grow. That's what he's telling his disciples that day. You're going to see it grow. Now, during, I want to say that I think Jesus may have even had himself in mind in this parable, that the seed may have been himself, that he may have been talking about himself, because um, he would talk about a seed being planted, and and from it, you know, and when a seed is planted and it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And in his ministry, some Gentiles came looking for him. And when he was told they were looking for him, remember, he's there to the Jews, right? When the Gentiles came looking for him, this is what he said. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. I think he's talking about himself being the seed that would be planted and the kingdom would grow from that into this great Harvest. He's talking about his own death, burial, and resurrection and the ensuing kingdom that would come and grow from what he's planted in the ground with his death. Uh, one day, the fullness of the kingdom will be reached, the fullness that only God knows. And when it does, God will bring in the harvest when that day comes. The end of this will give way to the beginning of something new, something better, something glorious. So here's my fourth application for us. Be expectant and be hopeful. I don't remember if it was Sunday school or if it was in Michael's worship leading through the music, but I think it was maybe in Michael's leading, but be expectant, be hopeful for this kingdom that's coming. I think it's easy for us as believers after 2,000 years to think, hey, where, where is he? When is he coming, right? And we can become apathetic and we can begin to stop thinking about his coming. I think Jesus is telling us Be thinking, be hopeful, be expectant for my coming and for the harvest of the kingdom. Jesus once told his disciples, I will build my church, 
The actual word is ecclesia. The call, I'll build my called out ones. I think it could be easily written, I will build my kingdom. And though the growth of the kingdom is often hard to see, almost imperceptible, it is always increasing. And though the kingdom may start off slow, it is constant and it is inevitable. And this, beloved, is our blessed hope. This is what we look for, the establishment of God's kingdom here on earth when Jesus comes back. That is our blessed hope. So here's my application. Encourage each other with that hope. Pray for, pray for this hope to come to pass. Pray for the return of Jesus. Thank him for the expectant harvest that's coming. Pray, thank him for it. Don't be uninterested or apathetic to the coming of the kingdom. Make it front and central in your Christian lives. Seriously, don't forget Jesus is coming back as king to rule and to reign over everything. And so therefore, make this front and center in your Christian life. Pray about it. Thank him for it. Remind yourself of it. Application number five, same, same parable. Keep sowing the seed. Jesus said, we don't really know how the seed works. Uh, we don't know how it works, but nonetheless, it is imperceivably working. This is what he says. In the first parable, the sower sows the word. In this parable, we learn that the seed, seed often, the seed of the kingdom of God, often works like seed in the ground, right? And how does the seed in the ground work? Well, you sow it, it doesn't always come up right away. First parable kind of told us that in some cases, right? But so, so this fall, I'm planting grass in my front yard. But you know what? I don't expect it. I don't even want it to come up this winter. I want it to remain dormant until the spring. Am I right, Dick? Is this right? You don't know? I mean, the grass man says I'm doing it wrong. At least he's not one to go along with me. So anyway, grass as in yard grass, okay? <laughs> anyway, I'm planting grass, and my hope is that it'll remain dormant till the spring, and when the, war when the warmth hits the ground, then my grass will start to come up. I don't expect it to come up now because the, the, the situation is not right for it to come up now. Sometimes we plant the word of God in people's lives, and it's not the right time. You know, it's not the right time, and the seed of the word of God remains dormant in their heart until something happens. Maybe breast cancer happens, or, or maybe it's a, a different kind of cancer, or maybe it's a, an automobile accident, or maybe it's something that takes a loved one. All of a sudden, something happens in our heart that takes our heart from being that rock-hard past soil of, of the first parable last week and softens it up, and that seed that's there that maybe the birds didn't snatch away, all of a sudden it begins to germinate, and all of a sudden it begins to put down roots in that person's heart, and something begins to take place. So... Here's the application. Let's plant the seed, not just because it's the right time, but let's plant the seed because we just never know when the, the person's heart's going to be ready to receive that seed. So let's just be planting the seed all the time. Someone asked me, can shallow and weedy soil become good soil? What do you think? Can shallow and weedy soil of parable one become good soil at some point in the future? You're all nodding yes, and the answer is absolutely yes. You, God hasn't condemned us from birth to being weedy or shallow soil. 
The soil of your hearts can change, and God can do an awful lot to bring about change in our life. Circumstances in our life can bring about change in our life. Here's what Paul tells Timothy. He says, Timothy, in every house, there are vessels, some for dishonor and some for honor. Now, you need to put yourself back then when they didn't have indoor plumbing and that sort of thing. So you had pots that you would use for cooking and food. And then you had pots that you would use when you were in your bedroom for, so you didn't have to go outside to go pee. Can I say that? I just did, didn't I? Uh, you, you, so you didn't have to go outside, right? And those, we, we called it a honey bucket on, we were camping, right? The honey bucket. It's always my job as the oldest, empty the honey bucket. But anyway, um, Paul says, there's vessels in a house that are for dishonor, they're for the port of John, and there are vessels for cooking and, and things for flowers. They're nice vessels in the house. And then Paul tells Timothy, if you cleanse yourself, you can go from being a vessel of dishonor to being a vessel of honor. So I'm telling you folks, we're not condemned from birth to be a vessel of dishonor. We're not condemned from birth to be weedy soil or shallow soil or even hard pan soil. You know, God can do all kinds of things to change your heart. And so back to my application for us. My application is you be planting the seed in people's heart because you never know when it's going to take root. You never know when it's going to begin to, to grow. And we don't understand how that works, but it does. And one more thing here about planting the seed. Can I say plant the seed in your own heart as well? Plant it in your own life? Because, you know, God uses the planted word of God in our heart, maybe not in this particular moment, but he may use it down the road in my life as I plant the word of God in my own heart. So here's an example. On Tuesday breakfast, we were going through the book of Ephesians and we read this, and I think it was a couple of Tuesdays ago. We read Paul write this, put away lying, speak the truth, each, to one, each one to his own neighbor because we are members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to, he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only that which is good for building up someone in need so that he gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Here's my point. We sowed that word in our heart, and you know what could happen down the road? I, I, I'm, I'm, ten, I'm all of a sudden getting angry, and, and that word that's sown in my heart that I shouldn't be angry, all of a sudden, it just it pops into my mind. And then instead of allowing my anger to go unchecked, I quell my anger, I put my anger down. Or, you know, all of these things about, I'm, I'm bitter against someone, and I'm, I'm not forgiving them, and all of a sudden, I'm realizing, wait a minute, God calls me to forgive, or maybe I'm not kind, I'm a harsh person, and I think, well, that's just the way I am. And all of a sudden, the seed of the word of God begins to grow in my heart, in my mind, and I realize, no, harshness is not acceptable for a follower of Jesus. I need to learn to be compassionate and kind. You, you get my point? Sow the word of God in your own heart so that in time, God can use it. It'll, it'll begin to grow up 
the kind of man that God wants you to be, or woman, not angry, hardworking, truthful, kind, building up with your words, compassionate, forgiving. God's word will change you little by little. And that brings us to the final parable, the parable of the mustard seed. This is not about mustard seed faith, right? And there's another place where Jesus talks about mustard seed faith, right? That our faith can be as small as a mustard seed. That's what this, par- this parable is not about this. Listen to what he says, verse 30. And Jesus said, with that, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. Once again, no interpretation, but again, pretty simple, pretty clear. The kingdom of God, here's here's what it is. The kingdom of God will start small with small beginnings, but then it's going to become larger than all the kingdoms of the earth. It's going to become, it's going to start so small, but it's going to become so large so that it's the largest kingdom. I remember the first time I sprayed that foam stuff in the windows. You know what I'm talking about? There's a spray foam you can get for insulation. First time I ever did it, man, I sprayed it in there and I never read the instructions and I filled the cavity up. And the next thing I know, and it was like, okay, but then it kept on coming and it kept on coming. And the casing of the window began to bow because this was before they learned how to make it and it would bow the casing and that stuff just keeps on growing and keeps on growing. She just put a little bit in there and it fills up the cavity. Well, the kingdom of God is like that. It starts really small, but it's gonna just keep on growing and growing and growing so much so that the birds of the air will even be able to make nests in the shade of this mustard tree. Some people try to interpret the, the birds some people say they're, they're basking in the shade, so it must be a good thing. This is talking about the nations. The nations will be in Christ one day. Ezekiel speaks of nations as birds. Others say, no, wait, wait, wait. The birds in the first parable, they're Satan, right? And his, his counterfeit, so, they, so it's bad. So these are the bad people that in the kingdom. They're really not part of the kingdom, but they're nesting in the, in the branches of the kingdom. So I'm gonna tell you what I think. I think it's just a story, and I think the birds are just illustrating the size of the kingdom. I don't think there's anything special about the birds, personally. I mean, maybe Jesus did mean, but it could be nations, it could be bad people, it could be both of them. I think he's just saying that the kingdom's gonna get so big that even the birds can nest in the branches of this mustard tree. The kingdom will grow large, and many will be blessed by the kingdom. And that brings me to my final application. So stay with me, I'm almost done. Here's my final application. Do the small thing to accomplish a great thing. Do the small thing to accomplish a great thing. Truly, the kingdom had an inauspicious beginning. It was so small, so insignificant. I mean, this Jewish carpenter put to death on a cross like a criminal, a handful of followers, and yet the kingdom of God changed the world. It gave us Western sieve with all of our values of freedom, our values of individual responsibility, our values of loving our neighbor, those are all from the kingdom of God. They've influenced our Western civilization. In Zechariah, God tells the prophet, he says, Zach, don't despise the beginning of the temple that we're building. Here's, here's exactly what he says. Do not despise the small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb bob in Zerubbabel's hand. So often, we're waiting for the big thing. You know, I'm gonna do the big thing. I mean, I got someone I love. He's always waiting for the big thing. He's gonna do the big thing. 
Don't, don't worry about the big thing. If God wants you to do the big thing, he'll let you do the big thing. And he'll get you to the place where you can do the big thing. You just do the small thing that's right in front of you. You do the small thing that's right at the, the tip of your fingers. The little conversation where you share the word of God with someone and it's a turning point in their life. Or maybe it's that short prayer where you out of the blue say, hey, can, can I pray for you? And you find out that that prayer just moved a mountain in that person's life and basically saved that person's life. You know, I, I've debated whether to do this one or not. I'm going to do it. But I was with Michael this week. Uh, our associate pastor, Michael, and I were together, and we were picking up a couch, and uh, we were talking to the guy, and we got ready to leave. And Michael goes, can, can I pray for you? And I thought to myself, man, <laughs> I mean, we don't already know this guy, and you want to pray for him? And Michael prays for the guy. And I have thought, I don't know if Michael's in the room or not. Michael's not in the room. But I have thought so many times, this was like Tuesday or Wednesday, I've thought, Tuesday, I've thought so many times since Tuesday, what if that prayer changes that guy's life? And I don't mean that God answers Michael's prayer. I mean, what if Michael choosing to pray for him is something that that man just can't get out of his mind? And it just, it's, 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 the, it's the tilling up of the soil of his heart for a seed that's planting there, planted there to begin to grow. My point is, I mean, how hard is it for us other than you have to get over the embarrassment or I don't know why we'd be so embarrassed to say to a friend of ours who just shared with us something hard, or I'm talking about a non-Christian friend, I'm talking about somebody who's not following Jesus. Say, man, can I, I follow Jesus. Can I, can I take a moment and pray for you? You know, I mean, that, that's hard for us, isn't it? We don't want to seem weird. But you know, maybe something simple like a prayer like that could change somebody's, it's the little thing right at our fingertips, right? Or the small act of generosity where you find out somebody's got a need and it's a small need and you, you can meet it and you reach into your wallet and you pull out a $50 bill and you say, hey, look, man, I want to help you out. And you know what? That little $50 gift that you just gave them was sort of like the shade that was sort of like the shade from the hot sun of suffering that may have scorched the plant of the first um, parable. You remember the parable of the shallow soil? When sufferings come, they burn up. Well, maybe that little gift that you just gave was sort of like a shade in, in the sufferings of somebody's life so they don't give up. Or, or how about just an act of kindness is, is your sort of like your shield of faith over someone who's having a really hard time and you just act kind. And all of a sudden, that kindness in Jesus' name, and they know it's in Jesus' name, that kindness is like a shield from the fiery dart of the enemy that says God doesn't care about you, nobody cares about you, but somebody's little kindness all of a sudden is like a shield and it helps that person realize, wow, God does care for me. You follow me? Small things can become big things. Insignificant things can turn into mighty significant things. They did in the kingdom of God. So do the small thing that's at your hand. And if God wants you to do big things one day, you'll do big things. But just do the small things right now. This is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. The conclusion for today's uh, talk is verse 33 and 34. With many such parables, Jesus spoke to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Don't you wish Matthew or 
or Mark or some of these guys that let us in on some of those explanations. There are, there, I read this, I didn't check to make sure it's true, but somebody wrote that there's 39 parables in the biographies of Jesus that are recorded for us. Mark gives us five of them. He spends most of his time talking about what Jesus did rather than about what he taught, but others, but others you know, taught on what he taught. Uh, John especially, his, his gospel is mostly what Jesus taught. But here's my point. In these things that Jesus taught, there's one kind of central voice of Jesus that keeps popping up, and, and it's this. Jesus keeps saying, hear me, hear me. Hear what I'm saying. Hear this word. Hear, hear this about the kingdom. If we don't hear him, we're going to miss so much. So listen, be attentive. You know, be attentive. Grow big ears to listen to Jesus. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What is God saying to you today? Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.